Okay. So next we have the title of this is entrepreneurial enterprises, how to spot a good investment. So we have several people and they can just come up and, and sit down. I'm going to announce some, uh, um, introduction. Um, if you have questions, you can text them in and then they will answer them hopefully. Um, okay. So, First, we have uh, Dawn Paul. She has been investing in real estate since 1996. She and her husband, Daryl, have owned and managed rentals and a number of businesses over the years with the goal of supporting their family and themselves to get closer to retirement. Dawn and Daryl have been married 37 years and have four children and 13 grandchildren. Uh, Joel Cohen received his Master's of Accounting at the University of Idaho and has worked as a certified public accountant for Moss Adams in Eugene, Oregon, and as a controller for Diligent Incorporated in Pullman, Washington. In 2015, he opened Tapped and is now working on opening a second location in Lewiston. Joel has invested in real estate, both locally and out of state, stocks, private businesses. He is married to Christine, has three children, Lucy, Clara, and Marcus. Uh, and next we have Andrew Nicholas as a financial associate at Thrivent Financial. Uh, he received a BS in marketing from the University of Idaho, is licensed in life and health insurance, and specializes in retirement income planning, business solutions, and estate strategies. He and his wife, Lydia, have two children. Rusty grew up in Covington, Louisiana. He received a BS in management from Louisiana Tech University in 2001. Rusty has split his career between the fields of real estate and ministry administration. He moved to Moscow, Idaho in 2005 after a stint in classical school administration to study theology at Greyfriars Hall. He taught at Logos School for a time and then became staff deacon at Christ Church. The last several years, Rusty has been acquiring, developing, and selling multi-family multi real estate in Moscow. Rusty is married to Melody, Melody Ann, his partner in the ministry, and in tireless, who is also a tireless homeschool mom of five sons and one daughter. So, welcome. Don't be alarmed. Yeah, you don't have to stand up. You can sit down. Oh, you can do whatever you want. I will stand up. I know. Sorry. <laughs> we'll get this. Okay. So I am Don Paul, and I know a lot of you. Some of you have rented from us, and we're glad. So um, I didn't go to school to do this. I didn't get any training to do this. We just kind of did it. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we did it and how it happened. So we were married in, in 1982. So we've been married a long time. Um, my husband was farming at the time. And so um, we did that. Uh, he actually did that for about 15 years. He grew up farming. But then when we got married, he was farming. I never wanted to marry a farmer. <laughs> I'm from Seattle area, but I came over here to go to WSU, and then I met him over here. Uh, we had four kids, and our lives were um, busy, and 
farming's kind of an investment in itself. I don't know if many of you know about farming, but every year you put seed in the ground and you hope you make money at the end of the year. And the thing about farming is uh, you only get paid once a year. And so you need to be a pretty good money manager. And um, it's a challenge to be able to, uh, to do that. And I, of course, as being part of that situation, um, had to learn that. Um, so we farmed for about 15 years, but we didn't really, we didn't have enough land to really make a good living on. So he quit farming in 1996 and bought a backhoe. Well, he had worked as an excavation, uh, in an excavation business in his teen years through the first 10 years until he was about 28. We didn't get married till he was 29. But, um, so he had excavation in his background. And so that was an easy transition. And he was still farming for a little bit, but when he sold and bought the backhoe, that was also when we bought one of our first rentals. In fact, we bought two rentals together because they came together and we still have them. Um, in fact, we have a couple of three, four Christchurch people living in them, which we are so glad to have. Um, so when we bought our first rental, we went to the bank and we borrowed money for them. Okay. Um, and then uh, a couple years later, we were, Daryl was doing excavation and we were, um, we had those rentals and then we bought another rental. We bought duplexes. Duplexes were kind of our thing. We had talked, uh, a friend of ours from church had said, think about real estate. Real estate's a good investment. He had done real estate investing and, uh, and done rentals. That was his thing too. But we liked duplexes. A lot of times they were in residential areas and we were careful to buy places that we would like to live in those areas. That's kind of one of our rules of buying is to buy what we would be willing to live in. <laughs> so uh, we did that. And then um, we also started, we were kind of crazy. We had, had all these things come up. We started the echo water business and ran that for a few years. And then um, we sold it down the road, but we also bought a building that we put that in. And so then we had a commercial building that we were invested in. And then about eight or nine years down the road, we paid off our first real estate because we had poured money from all of our other money streams into paying them off. And so then we were using the money from the first real estate investments to fund the next ones and to start paying off those. And so it kind of was a, a snowball effect in a very slow manner, <laughs> but it was good. And we learned a lot on the way. And uh, as the kids were growing up, we worked on the rentals together and they learned skills and that was good. <laughs> I remember when my son Daniel, he and his friend Zach, Browning were 11. They were scraping paint off of the duplex wall. It's a good, good skill, good skill set to have. <laughs> so, so our investments weren't just investments in money. They were investments in our family. And um, 
and also our relationships with other people because of the rental, um, the renters that we had. So basically, uh, we continued on buying places, paying off, living, buying places, paying off, living. Um, today, we have 12 duplexes. We have one sixplex. We have a couple houses. We have a couple commercial properties and some different land. And we own our house. And right now, we are free and clear. So that was our goal. And Daryl's retiring and from, not from life, just, <laughs> he's doing less, which is good. Um, and we're trying to make time for our almost 13 grandkids, if Laura has her baby soon. Um, she's got it all planned out because uh, <laughs> her first two kids were born on the 18th. Both of them were born on Sunday, the 18th. And do you know what tomorrow is? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> okay. Um, so because life is not flat and doesn't just, it's not one dimensional, our investing has not been one dimensional. A lot of the things that we've done and how we've done has not been exactly by the book. Like because of Daryl's excavation business, we were, he, he, uh, one of our payments was a lot in Viola. Okay. So he did a, a small subdivision out there. And one of the way we got paid was a lot and we built a rental house on it. Okay. Those are the kind of things being paying attention we're entrepreneurs. I don't know how we became that. We just are. <laughs> we pay attention. We look for, we look for opportunities. And, and a lot of times they're opportunities. One of the things that we were told early on was invest in what you know or what you're comfortable with. We're not comfortable with a lot of debt. We never wanted to do that. And so we did it carefully and we did it in the long term. Um, so uh, a couple of our rules of investing. These are our rules of investing. Location, location, location. When we're looking at something, where is it? And that is very important. It's important to us. It's important to the people that are going to live there. And this is our way of doing it. Okay. Um, would we live there? That was another thing. We chose early on not to make out-of-town investments. They tend to be out of your control, out of your sight, out of, <laughs> they can get away from you. Um, and um, early on, there was a 1% rule for rentals. And that was when you buy a rental, you ought to be getting 1% of the purchase price out of rent. It isn't always that way now. Real estate's way too high, sad to say. And taxes, unfortunately, are going up also. So there's other formulas that'll help you figure that out. Um, we never did buy, I shouldn't say we never did. We bought a few older, very older homes. But as a general rule, we don't buy older homes because a lot of times they take a lot of upkeep. They're getting hard to insure. That's another thing. A lot of insurance companies don't want to uh, ensure the older homes. So that was another of our rules. And then try not to buy in floodplains. 
or on steep hillsides because we do snow plowing. <laughs> so um, other than that, I can only say that uh, we were grateful for how, um, how we have been able to walk step by step. And we have, like um, Jonathan Erber said, get in contact with professionals, talk with people that know and utilize others' wisdom over the years. And we have done that too. So appreciate it. Next. <laughs> Hello, I'm Joel Cohen. Um, I'm going to quickly talk about some investments I've done, and then I'll talk a little bit more about entrepreneur stuff. So <clears throat> I've invested in stocks, in real estate, and of course, in, in private businesses. Um, with stocks and real estate, I, I, I like to take a contrarian position. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, it's sort of uh, when something drops in value, I think, hey, I should buy that. Um, I'll give you a couple examples of, of that later. Um, and the reason uh, is that I don't think the markets are perfectly efficient. A lot of stock people think markets are efficient, which means that basically all the information knowable about a certain business is known and is accurately reflected in the current stock price. So you're never going to find a deal. You're never going to be able to get it for less than it's worth. But um, I think that's usually mostly true, but there are times when it's not true. And it's the same thing with, with uh, real estate. Um, you can see we had this big crash back in 08. Um, and so one day, you know, it was $400,000. The next day it was two fifty. Well, one of those prices is not right, right? So um, the market wasn't right about that. The market wasn't efficient um, when it comes to real estate in that, in that example there. And when I invest in those kind of things, stocks, real estate, my main focus at this point in my life is for a cash return because cash is hard to get. Um, if you have cash, you have a lot more opportunities. Um, you know, when I'm going to do big things, I have to go find people with lots of cash. Cash is the hardest thing to come by. Um, so that's what I'm looking for when I do things. When investing in real estate, I use something called the Burr method. It's to buy, rehab it, um, uh, rent it out, refinance it, so you get your money back, and then repeat that method. So if I go buy a house that's pretty beat up, um, you know, say for sixty thousand dollars, I put in sixty thousand dollars, so I've got one hundred twenty thousand into it, and now it's worth one hundred and sixty thousand. I can refinance and get all my money back. Now I have a mortgage, and now I have a renter paying the mortgage and hopefully giving me a little more, and then I can go do it again. So that's um, a strategy called the the BRRRR method. Burr. For, for slang. Uh, and again, because that preserves the cash, which you know, I don't have, you know, dump trucks full of cash laying around. So that is why I go with that method. And like Don was saying, it's hard right now because real estate is very expensive. And so, you know, not really buying anything at this point. Bought a couple homes last year in Oklahoma City. And um, one of the reasons I target Oklahoma City, um, Don mentioned the 1% rule. You, know, you want your monthly rent to be one percent of the, like the money you have into this building. I can't do it here. Rusty may disagree. We'll see. <laughs> but it's it's very very difficult to do here. Uh, Oklahoma City, you can you can get like one point two percent, you know, 
without a whole lot of struggle. And that's with the market being kind of inflated right now. So um, there's other reasons for Oklahoma City, but just, you know, to just uh, touch on the 1% rule that Don mentioned. Um, and so we're, me and a, a friend are, are doing this, some of that burr stuff over there with some properties in Oklahoma City. And then with stocks, I follow a handful of companies, big companies like energy companies like Exxon or Chevron or BP, Royal Dutch Shell, play, uh, companies like that. And I like those because they pay dividends. Um, again, that's cash. It's important to me. Um, the tax rate on dividends is almost nothing. Sometimes it is literally nothing. Depends on where your income is. Um, and, but again, I don't, at this point in my life, I'm not just buying long-term holding. Uh, I'll follow these companies. And when there's a market crash or something like that, and they get really low, I buy them. And then I sell them when they go, when they kind of rebound. And that's what I was talking about. The markets are not perfectly efficient. They're, it's not always the right price when it drops. Was it like in 2009 or something, BP had that big oil spill. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that in the Gulf. And their stock went down by like 66% or something. And again, I just quickly looked at the company. It's like, looks, everything looks normal, except they're going to have this, you know, they're going to have some cleanup and they're going to have some, some big bill, uh, bills for lawsuits and everything. Um, and so I just bought a bunch of stock and, um, it did go back up, right? Because people were emotionally selling it. And then at the more you sell, the lower the price, it drives itself down. Um, and then especially when like mutual funds, they start selling off their shares, they're moving huge blocks and it drives the price down. And so I bought a bunch of BP stock and then it within you know, two years, it was, you know, back up close to where it was. It was probably it had gone up probably 50%, right? So that's, that's kind of a contrarian investing point of you know, strategy. Other reason I go with BP is because of the dividend. Even if it didn't rebound for five years, at that point, the dividend payout was like eight and a half percent, just cash coming to you. Now, the risk would be maybe they're going to have to cut off that dividend, right? Because they need all their money to pay legal fees, right? And so it's a risk, which gets to my next point here is that I'm pretty risk adverse. I don't, I don't mind taking risks. Uh, I think they're calculated. Um, another example, sort of a contrarian investment thing I did uh, when the stock market crashed in 09, or was it 08? Um, 08, yeah, 08. I took out a student loan and bought a bunch of stocks. Um, it's probably not technically legal. <laughs> but uh, in truth, I did do that. Um, and it worked out great. Made a lot of money on it. Um, was able to pay off my loan within a couple of years and have a bunch of money left over. Um, so a couple of uh, homes that I've used this Burr method on are a uh, home in Oklahoma City. We, I did exactly what I just talked about. I bought it. We, re, we um, fixed it up, refinanced it. We have like $8,000 left in it that we didn't get back. So we have $8,000 making us about you know, $230 a month. So if you take that 230 a month is like 4,000 a year. So basically you make 50% of my cash. That's a very good investment. Um, most people would consider that a very good investment. Um, and I, I've done a similar thing like that in Lewiston and then holding it for a year, made rents for a year and then sold it for a large gain. Uh, so that was cool because I made rental income and then I made a capital gain, which I waited long enough to was a long-term capital gain. So it was favorably taxed. Um, and that was more of a long-term flip kind of, a, kind of an idea. I've done a flip with Rusty um, over here in, in uh, Moscow. That went very well. Um, so 
those are other kinds of invest, uh, real estate investments that I do. One of the challenges with, with flips or, or even doing the Burr method is finding a good contractor uh, who's reasonable with their prices because most of them are not and who's going to really care about the work they do and try and do it in such a way that it's good, uh, yet saves you money. They tend not to, at least at this, again, with the market where it is, because the real estate's going crazy, contractors are going crazy with their prices. Um, so it's, it's hard right now to do a lot of stuff, but uh, getting a good contractor who you trust and is affordable and does good work is very important. Um, way I find deals is through relationships mostly. Uh, if, uh, so we develop a relationship with realtors um, or other people who are just into investing. Um, and then one thing to remember is that every, everybody's got a deal for you though. So people are going to bring deals to you if you're kind of in this world and um, you do have to be able to, to like look, weed through it and say, you know, what is my return on this? What's the risk and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's a little bit about investing. I, I realized part of this was entrepreneurial stuff. So um, I opened tap uh, tapped as you all know, probably most, of you know, um, I've never worked in a restaurant. I know nothing about restaurants and I never wanted to run a restaurant. But uh, I, I opened it to create passive income for myself with the intent that somebody else would run the business. And um, obviously, I have somebody running it who does a very good job. And it is a passive gig for me, basically. I choose to do the bookkeeping. If I didn't want to, I could pay somebody. If I wanted to, I could pay somebody else to do that. Um, but uh, with that, it was, you know, I needed to raise money. So I had to go talk to people and say, hey, I have this business idea and convince them uh, that the idea was good, that it could be profitable. So um, I had to show them financial statements, pr projection financial statements. You know, I think we're gonna do this much in sales. I think we're, our costs will be here. And you know, we'll make this much money. And you can, obviously you can make up anything you want. So most people are like, okay, well, where'd these numbers come from? Would you just make these up? And so then it's sort of like, okay, well, here's where the numbers came from. And, um, you know, do research and that kind of thing. Um, and then when you're talking to somebody who you, you want money from, right, they're thinking, well, what's the risk and how much am I looking at getting back, right? They want to know what they're, what's in it for them. So in painting a picture of like, if you give me this money, I think you'll get this return. This return was, you know, good, uh, you know, 20% or whatever, right? And most people are like, wow, 20%, that's not going to find that too many places. Um, I'm making that up as a number, but you know, so you're, you're, you're kind of having this interaction with this person. You're saying, here's what I'm proposing I can do. You have to get them to believe in the idea, but also mostly they're kind of just investing in, in the person. They're thinking, I believe you will be able to do this. Um, and I don't know why anybody gave me money for tap because I never, never done, even worked in a restaurant. So um, a lot of people didn't, a lot of people didn't want to give me any money, but a few did enough did and we got it going. Um, so if, I think that a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs because, well, I don't know, probably lots of reasons, but being an entrepreneur is, or owning your own business in any way is not something everybody's going to do, nor should you think I should do it necessarily. I mean, not if everybody owned their own business or no, you wouldn't have any employees. Like, not everybody's going to own their own business. It's just the way it is. And it's fine. Like, most, probably most people don't want to. Right? Why, most people would say, why bother with the risk? I got, friendly, I got friends with jobs who make more money than me, and they just have a job. 
and go home and forget about it and benefits and all that. Why would they go start a business? I don't know. So you don't need to start a business to be successful is kind of what I'm trying to say here. You can be successful uh, through, through hard work at a regular job. Um, I forgot where I was going with all that, but uh, again, I, I did all this because ultimately I wanted to have passive income. I'm not that interested in trading my hours for a set dollar. Um, I do it if I have to, but it's not interesting to me. Um, and this probably goes back to the fact that I'm, I just kind of like, I like taking risks. So um, if you're that kind of person, maybe being an entrepreneur is, is for you. So that's all I got. How's it going? My name is Andrew Nicholas. I work for a company called Thrivent Financial. I'm a financial consultant and uh, yeah, Fortune 500 Christian financial company. Some of you know me, but I don't recognize a whole lot of faces out there. So anyways, um, you know, a lot like uh, Don and Joel and uh, Russ, I'm sure I've I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I participated either passively or actively in multi or multiple businesses, multiple startups, and um, at different companies. I've owned real estate and I've uh, been invested in the market since for a very long time. So, um, and you know, I guess as I look out at the crowd today, one of the things I'm looking at is you know, kind of what is going to be most beneficial to you because most of you are starting out and starting life after college and kind of trying to get your feet under you and, and go about that. So quick show of hands, how many people would like to be wealthy? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, like, I don't know why you're listening, like to any of us um, do well. Okay, everyone does. Okay, you're starting out, you have a lot of drive, a lot of dreams, a lot of hopes, and that's great. And that's good things. And uh, each of you are going to go on and do different things. Some of you will uh, be crazy like us and be entrepreneurs. And some of you will go and work at a job. And like Joel said, that's great, too. You can make a really good living and a lot of money. And, you know, Fantastic. The most important key with any of those options, like whatever you do, if you decide to start a business or real estate or invest in the market or work at a job is, you know, start out by actually making a plan of where you want to go. Um, you know, if you actually put together and make a plan for yourself and say, hey, what, not what do I need for tomorrow? What do I need five years from now? What do I want 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Um, now a lot of you may not remember this because yeah, but, uh, you know, back before GPS is the best example I can get before GPS, we had these things called maps, paper maps. They were great. And so if you were going to, you know, you said, okay, I'm going to drive across the country. I need to get somewhere. You didn't just hop in your car and punch it into your phone or your GPS or whatever and go, right. You looked at map and you said, okay, where am I going to go? And you mapped it out and said, you know, I need to go here and you take this turn. I'm going to stop here. All that stuff. Well, you know, it, life is kind of the same way, right? It, it might not look exactly like you think it's going to, but you need to make a plan for it. You need to actually map out and say, okay, what do I want to see happen? What are my goals? I mean, 10 years from now, how are you going to, if you wake up 10 years from now without a goal, you're going to be somewhere. 
I mean, like if you start across the country without a map, you know, you're going to end up somewhere. It's probably going to be in the middle of a cornfield in Ohio, but I mean, you know, probably not where you want to be, but you'll be somewhere. Right. So I, you know, first and foremost, I'd say make a goal, figure out what you want to do and where you want to be. And then, you know, start looking at the best way to get there. So a little bit on that, just as far as evaluating investments goes, um, you know, I, there's all sorts of investments out there, whether you're looking at businesses or real estate or the stock market or, you know, I'm sure there's other things out there that I'm forgetting, but, you know, and honestly, they're all, none of them are good or bad, right? It's, there's good and there's bad inside each of them. And so really figuring out what you're comfortable with and what fits inside your plan is really helpful to say where, you know, what's right for you and figuring that out. A couple of things to look at um, just as you are thinking about that and looking at that. And I like to refer to it as the three R's. And so when you're looking at this is risk return and responsibility and responsibility is a little bit anyway. Uh, so risk, risk is pretty uh, obvious. Um, you know, how much risk are you willing to take on? You know, if you start up a brand new business and you put a lot of money into it, you know, there's a lot of risk that goes along with that. It could go belly up. You know, I've been in businesses that have gone belly up and you know, you don't get your money back. Great. That's okay. That was a risk. And that was a risk I took going in businesses that did the opposite. And that was good. Um, return. What type of return can you expect on it? What type of return is good on that? Um, that's one thing I think a lot of people, when you look at return, it's a multifaceted thing and actually taking a look with where you're at in life for the return. So, you know, if you're investing, um, you know, let's say in a real estate, for example, and you say, okay, the real estate's going to return X number of dollars, 1%, whatever it is, right? So you look and say, okay, that's the, you know, is that return the actual return on the product or what you're getting, the real estate, what you're getting into? Have you taken into account all the costs? And then what is that going to do to your situation? So if you work at a W-2, a salary job, and you come in and you say, okay, yeah, this rental, you know, let's paid for it with cash, paid for it with, uh, or um, took out debt to get it. And now it's giving me $1,000 a month. Well, now my income is $12,000 a year higher. And now I have taxes to pay on that $12,000 a year. So that return isn't 12%, right? If it was $100,000 investment. It's going to be less than that. So take a look at the return and actually do a deep dive into what that return is actually going to be. And, um, you know, one thing with that, uh, you know, talk about the risk on businesses um, with real estate, you know, if you're going to go into debt, just for anything, for business, for real estate, um, don't, don't rush into that. You know, debt is one of the biggest anchors around you as you move forward. Um, to try to accumulate and build wealth. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying never do it. I'm just saying, give it a long, hard look because, you know, anytime you owe somebody money um, and stuff doesn't always go like you plan it to. And if you owe somebody money that you have to pay back every month and all of a sudden something doesn't go like you planned, well, guess what? 
you still have to pay it back. So um, just, you know, be careful as you do that. And then uh, responsibility was the only R I could think of for that, this last one. And it, a lot of uh, us up here, you know, our full time, what we do full time, you know, is these entrepreneurial ventures, right? You know, um, I wouldn't, I think any of my fellow panelists up here would, would not say that, oh yeah, I don't spend any time at all uh, going in and checking out the real estate or dealing with real estate or my business. You know, I never see Joel and Tap doing anything ever. <laughs> you know, it, it's obviously not the case. So know with, you know, with the responsibility, know how much time involvement you're getting yourself into and actually put a value to that to yourself. Like if you're going to be spending, uh, you know, 20 hours a week, another part-time job doing something that has a value to it. And is that something that you want to be taking on, you know, or is it better to find a passive investment that uh, can grow? And if you don't want to put the time into it, neither, you know, either one can be the right answer. It's just not, you know, look at it for yourself individually. You know, I don't, I think everyone would, up here would agree that not every investment is right for every person, right? doesn't make a bad investment and maybe it's not the right time or just not the right investment for the per person, but look at inside of your plan and what you're doing and how much you time and effort and risk you're willing to put in and the return you want on it. And once you have all those figured out, then weeding out the good investments from the bad investments becomes you know, a lot easier. You have your criteria in place. So anyways, that's what I got. My name is Rusty Olps. I am, I learned a couple of weeks ago, I'm something called a syndicator. Um, which means I might be in the mafia or I might be working in real estate. In my case, I'm working in real estate and a syndicator means you're creating a syndicate. You're creating, you're taking money from other people and opportunities and you're essentially brokering them. But it's more than that because you stay in it. You would uh, manage the syndicate. So um, on paper, I would uh, often be referred to as a, a managing member of an LLC. Almost everything I have is in an LLC. So I'm going to try to go quickly here. I do want to have plenty of time for you guys uh, to have questions and ans uh, answers from us, from the panel. Um, I'm going to blurb two books. Uh, one of them is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you haven't read this, read it now as soon as you can. Um, I read it late in the game. And obviously, you can get the principles from other places, but that's a great starting point. The other one is Anti-Fragile by somebody whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. Nas there you go. Nassim Taleb. Um, both of those are great books that have big principles, not a lot of details. And uh, the big principles um, that are not always intuitive. Um, one of the first things that uh, Robert Kiyosaki says in his book is the rich... Poor men and middle class work very hard for their money. Rich men have their money work very hard for them. Um, 
there's a false notion that is pervasive in our education system, Christian and non-Christian alike, that says, get good grades, go to college, get a good job, put money in your retirement fund, and retire when you're 65. There are alternatives to that that involve a lot more freedom, a lot more flexibility, and, and necessarily a lot more wealth than the W-2 option. I'm not saying you, you shouldn't have a job. I'm just saying know your options, know why you're doing what you're doing so that you don't look back at 55 or 65 and think, I've got nothing, or I have this one retirement fund, or um, you want to have those questions being answered now in your mind. One of the reasons this is important is because uh, both Kiyosaki and Taleb and other people, um, if you've read, Chris Wiley was just here. He wrote a book called Man of the House. That's, <laughs> I got two fist pumps for that blurb. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Um, Chris Wiley's got a book, Man of the House, that honestly, I think he's robbing Rich Dad, Poor Dad a little bit and some other great principles. Not that uh, Kiyosaki's got a trademark on those ideas, although he does trademark almost everything <laughs> he puts out including his graphics. You'll see a little trademark symbol. Anyway, um, the reason I mentioned that is because employment is, generally speaking, much more fragile than investment money. So if you put all of your time and all of your energy into a contract for one person or one company, you can lose that in one fail swoop, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the tests for how wealthy you are is how long you can survive if you had to stop working. Would you survive beyond your next expected paycheck or would you survive for years? It's a, it's a principle, a big picture principle that you need to be thinking about. Um, your single family house, your typical single family house that you are told to buy um, I'm not going to bash realtors. I love realtors. Um, buy the, the, a typical single family house that you're told to buy when you leave college is not an investment. Okay. You can make money on it if you sell it. It's a golden goose that produces no eggs. So you might fatten it up and then slay it, but it doesn't produce any of that passive income and it costs you money as long as you have it. So when you come out of college, look into the multifamily real estate market. This is most of what I've done over the last few years. Multifamily real estate is diversified in several ways. First of all, by being real estate, the first word there that's super key is that it is real. It's not fake or abstract like the stock market. And I'm prejudiced against the stock market because I'd be super terrible at doing it, but um, it's real. It's real. So you have a thing, you have a piece of land. Even if the house burns down, you have a piece of land. Even if the house burns down, you probably, if, you, if you're doing your work correctly, you have an insurance policy on that house. I have insurance policies that also uh, insure my rental incomes. So I, I buy a house um, that produces income. The worst case scenario is it burns down and I've got insurance 
to help me take care of that. I don't think there's too many insurance policies in the stock market. Um, real estate, multifamily real estate is also anti-fragile, meaning that under pressure, like an economic downturn, it will grow, okay? That's an essential principle for anything going forward in uh, investments. Um, multifamily is also obviously internally diversified. You have multi-units in that building so that vacancy rates aren't 100% or, or 0%. There, you can run a rate where if you have enough of them, you can get, uh, you can, you can uh, stomach two or 3% vacancy and be fine. In Moscow, duplexes are tough, uh, as has already been mentioned, because everybody wants them. Uh, for some reason, people do not want triplexes, fourplexes, fiveplexes, sixplexes. That is an interesting market that's low supply, but also low demand. I don't know, I don't understand it, but it's true. That's a, a loophole in the market. If you, you can find a three or fourplex that costs absolutely the same amount as a duplex and make much more money on your uh, three or four unit. Here's a, here's a uh, real basic investment scenario um, with big, big uh, broad numbers, nothing too specific. If you go out and buy something like a duplex for $200,000, it is priced at $200,000 because the realtors have looked at it and they've taken what's called a gross rent multiplier. Um, and Moscow duplexes are about 140. So they take 140 and they multiply that times the monthly rent that equals the price. So if you have a, a three bedroom, uh, two bath duplex, so that's three, two on each side, you get $714 per unit um, that's 1,428 a month. Multiply that times 140, $200,000 duplex. One of the ways you can make that duplex work and get to that 1% um, goal is by finding under-rented properties. And there are loads of them here. The market is very immature. I have uh, studios right across the way here that are uh, 200 and, no, 376 square feet, and they rent for 655, and I bill back water, sewer, garbage, electricity, and everything. Um, you can take that money, which is probably like seven, probably $800 after you pay for your uh, utilities, and you can go and buy a, or rent a three-bedroom um, unit in a duplex or a triplex or something. And that, uh, that divergence is just a factor of the market being immature. Things haven't really settled out here. So you can find those deals, but you, it does take a little bit of sweat equity and it takes a little bit of hunting. If you do increase the rent on your three bedroom to about $1,000 a month, now you've got $2,000 a month. And you take that and multiply that times that same GRM of 140, and all of a sudden you've got a $280,000 duplex. And all you did was let those leases lapse and then the people who came in pay the new rent. So you turn it in from a $200,000 duplex to a $280,000 duplex in the course of a year or less sometimes. 
course, if you sell it, again, you're slaying the golden goose, no more eggs, but you might want to take that money and put it to work somewhere else. Um, your property can appreciate through natural appreciation, which is hard to predict where the market just uh, by virtue of time and whatever is at play and the economy has a slow uh, appreciation of the property's value and you can force appreciation through increasing rents or making improvements, which is where a lot of my time and energy goes. Um, I also want you to know that I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in retirement funds. I regularly take retirement money. It's called a self-directed IRA. And I take that money that has all the protections of an IRA and I put that into real estate investments. It's, it's a couple hours of dealing with third-party companies that administrate those things. It's really not a big deal. So be thinking about that because you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have a W-2 employment situation. You can have money going into your IRA and you can take that money and put it in other places besides uh, the stock market. Okay, thanks. Okay, so we have a little time for questions and you guys been texting those in, so great. So the first question is for Don. Would you say it's prudent to pay off one rental property before investing in another one? Seems like finding renters could be a problem, and if you are relying on renters to pay your mortgage, you could get in a real pickle, especially if that happens to more than one property at a time. That's true. Um, we didn't pay off one at a time, but we also didn't have multiple mortgages going just because of our comfort level of leveraging how many, how much money you actually had borrowed. So no, it's not always prudent to do that. I wouldn't actually even recommend it, but um, you also need to know what your risk comfort level is. Okay. Um, next question is for Joel, for the layperson. Seems like the stock market is in the realm, same realm as time travel, meaning that you can never really understand it. Um, can you give us a stocks for dummies summary of what you'd recommend for a beginner? Um, if you're looking for to invest in stocks for a long-term investment, like for retirement, I would steer you towards index funds. Um, there's a great book called The Four Pillars of Investing. It's something Rick Littlejohn recommends. Um, and I would recommend that to anybody too. You can also read Benjamin Graham's book on uh, you know, financial statement analysis. Uh, if you have some finance and accounting background, that's uh, Warren Buffett's teacher was Benjamin Graham. And those are the fundamentals that Warren Buffett uses. I would not, if you're a layperson, I wouldn't buy individual stocks hoping to do well. I just, wouldn't, I just wouldn't do that. Um, let's see. I have another question for Joel here. Um, if you were interested in starting a business, sorry, if I were interested in starting a business in the next five years, what steps would you recommend taking now to make that a possibility later? Well, that's a good question. Um, Things I, I don't I don't necessarily have a five year plan, but things 
you're going to need to do to start your business. Um, you, first off, there's two kinds of businesses, I think. One is a business where you, um, you can set up something to run on its own. And there's another kind of business like, like a family practitioner. Like you're, you're a doctor and you're, you are your own business, but you're, you know, you're selling your service, right? So if you stop selling your service, you stop earning income. So I'm assuming you're not talking about that. But if you're looking to get into a business where you have some kind of operation going, where you're selling product of some kind, physical or intangible, um, I think you need to research, um, you know, how viable that business is. Uh, what I mean by that is in Moscow, particularly, and as an example, I see a lot of people on Main Street open these businesses for six months and they shut down. And it seems to me like they're opening uh, I don't know, is niche businesses or niche. I'm not sure how you say that word properly, but you know, you're opening businesses that are, it would do well in Seattle where there's, you know, 4 million people to where if you're 1% of that 4 million people, it's plenty of people to, you know, cover your business. But here, you know, 1% of 20,000 or 15,000 a summer, you're just going to go under. So consider what is your business makes sense here uh, in this town, or maybe it's a business like MZ that you could be anywhere. You're selling a product far and away. It doesn't matter necessarily, but um, you're going to need to be able to convince somebody to give you money at some point, I think. So you have to be said, this is why it's a good, uh, good business. You're going to need to come up with pro forma statements, uh, which is sort of like a projected profit and loss and balance sheet and say, here's where I think we're going to make money. And then you're going to say, and here's why I think these numbers are, I didn't just make these up because they look good. Or you have to be able to justify the numbers. Uh, you know, you need to, um, you'll have to start a business, start an LLC or an S corp or whatever you want to do, which is pretty easy with the secretary of state, but, um, you're going to need, I think the most important thing for a lot of businesses, uh, is to have good people. Um, and I think that is why tapped one of the huge reasons tapped has been successful is we have good people have good management and Tyler has hired great people. Um, and so, you know, if you're going to be the manager, of this business, you need to be able to honestly look at yourself and say, am I a good manager? Right. I'm not, I know I'm not a good manager, me, Joel. So I don't manage people. Um, I don't want to, and I'm not good at it. So, um, maybe you need to figure out a partner or something like that. Say this guy's going to run the business or handle the management of people side. Um, so obviously I'm kind of rambling here. I don't have a five-year plan, but these are things you're going to have to think about. Uh, and you're going to have to sell somebody on the idea to give you money on why this is a good business, uh, which requires all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, this one isn't directed to anyone. I think any of you can answer it. So I might just pass the mic down um, for young college grads starting out. What are the best investment vehicles to use for building the wealth needed to start investing in real estate or buying a home? Um, Another one that kind of goes along with that is um, investment is kind of intimidating for new people. How would you make it less scary? I guess it's kind of a little bit different. Basically, how do you build the wealth to kind of get the down payment to start doing that? So any of you can answer it or you can just go down the line. You live small. Yeah, I was going to say something similar is um, don't go buy the, the most house you can. Or like Rusty was saying, buy a duplex when you first start. Um, start because that is an investment like he's saying your house is not an investment when you sell it down the road to make a bunch of money if you want to continue to have a home you have to buy a new home at the higher prices so that money you made doesn't really exist it just goes back into your new place to live 
Um, <laughs> so I would say I, I'm with Don, just keep your expenses small, you know, buy a cheap car, buy a duplex or rent a tiny apartment and save. Yeah, that's a uh, great first advice. Living on less than you make is always a key to actually um, building wealth. So um, that's definitely key. And then putting it away and I guess depending on time frame, whether, you know, sometimes it's just putting away in the bank until you have enough to be able to get that property you want. Or uh, if it's a longer term time frame, maybe looking at something that gives you a little bit of return on your money. And then, um, you know, um, stock, CD, uh, otherwise. And then as far as investments go in general, make them a little less scary. You know, it, things that are scary are things you don't understand. So you need to find um, either through research on your own or through somebody helping you, um, someone who can help you walk through and help you understand the investments and what you're doing. Use somebody else's money. I'm serious about that. Um, if you have a good deal, then the money's not the problem. If you have a good deal, come to me and, and I'll, we'll, we'll create a syndicate. Um, the other thing is you could make it less intimidating by, uh, instead of borrowing somebody else's money, which I still highly recommend, um, you could borrow somebody else's hospitality. I had a friend who Airbnb'd his house <laughs> and he would just move out and move in with his in-laws whenever it rented. They were fine with it and he would make, you know, six or $700 in a weekend. Um, think creatively. Uh, maybe you can do that. You can do that with your apartment. Shack up with your neighbor. That's the wrong phrase to use. <laughs> Um, borrow somebody else's shack and, and live in it and, and, and let your place create passive income just from the furniture you already own and the lease you already have. There's no law against that yet. All right. Um, let's see. Okay. Does real estate investment still make sense for people who do not have carpentry or fixer upper skills or would paying a contractor to make the property improvements kill the profitability in general? It can still make sense. You have to factor that in. Um, I'm somebody who has learned some, you know, carpentry, skills like I, I do a lot of home projects and i was never taught by my father or anything like that i i just learned it it's nothing is that hard to do it really isn't so if you just do it you'll probably get it done yeah i mean i agree with joel i would i would add to that uh that's a lame excuse if you think you don't have the skills um especially in the era of uh, accessible information. So I know when I send my manager, uh, Kip mock out to fix something, he is Googling on the road before he gets there to fix the thing. Um, and he may need to pick up a tool or something, but it isn't like the information's not free and accessible. So, uh, otherwise you can yeah hire somebody. 
this question is for anybody. Um, how do you avoid acting like a wolf as an entrepreneur? <laughs> you don't have to answer that if you don't. No. <laughs> I think you just have to not be a wolf. I mean, uh, wh whenever I'm trying to put together a deal, which I, I do kind of like a lot like Rusty, just put, put deals together. Um, I, I want it genuinely to, to be good for the person bringing money in. I want them to do well um, because even if you take away any benevolence on my part, I want them to do another deal with me later. Right. So, um, and then you also have to be ready to hear no and be, be okay with that. Uh, if you say, here's this investment idea, are you interested? And they say, no, say, okay, that's fine. Because who was it? it was, I mean, you were saying not every investment is right for everybody. So, Yeah, I, I mean, I would say beside the besides the obvious moral obligation to not to not steal or be a wolf. I don't know what, what exactly that means. Um, you have to keep in mind that it's really, really bad business. I think you can get away longer doing that if you're national or if you're, you know, doing contracts. Like I've I've had horrible experiences with general contractors who are working out of say, um, you know, the Carolinas, and I'm working in Idaho and uh, they have very little to lose by making me sad. And so, uh, but here you can't do that. There's, there's, you, you get to do that once. <laughs> okay. Um, this question is for Rusty. Um, what then is the benefit of having a basic IRA when you can't touch the money until you're 60, if you have the option of getting the self-directed IRA? I don't know if I understand. <laughs> IRAs. Um, so even in a self-directed IRA, you can't access the money. I mean, it still has the same restrictions as far as you accessing the money um, before you're 59 and a half. So uh, you can take that money and invest it. You can put it in property, but you're still operating under the same guidelines of how IRAs work. So if you take money and put it into a, and buy property in a self-directed IRA, that money is in essence locked up until that time period. You're going to have to um, live under the same guidelines. It's just instead of investing it uh, in stock or mutual funds or something that way, you're going to be have it invested in a property. Yeah. On my operating agreements, it says Rusty Olps is a partner and he owns this much percentage. Real Trust IRA for the benefit of X owns this percentage. And I actually have the IRA custodian sign the operating agreement. It is very much uh, controlled by those rules so that it's it's the same as if it's a lot more personal obviously in particular than the stock market but it's the same principles i was going to say one thing about iras if you open a roth ira at any time you can take out the money you've put into it five years five years yeah i was going to, it has to be in there for five years but you can take out the principal at any time okay. without penalty or tax not not your gains um, but your, your principal, you can take that back out. Okay. This is going to be the last question. 
if you were cash heavy right now in Moscow, what would be your investment of choice? I'd, pro- <laughs> I'd probably invest with Joel in opening a new restaurant in Lewiston. <laughs> And buying the building too, so it's a real estate and restaurant place. So that's probably what I do. <laughs> um, wow, uh, I, this may be a little bit of a cop out, but it, you know, I'm going to come back to it. Really depends on the person. Um, as far as you know, real estate it can be great with what the person is doing and having cash heavy. So um, uh, you're able to do a lot with that. But real estate is also very expensive right now, and um, not everyone's cut out to be a landlord too. So, uh, that's part of it. Business. I mean, you can't just be like, Hey, business, you know, you're either opening your own or you have to find one like, uh, Joel's restaurant to invest in. And so, um, and in Moscow there, there's a bit of that, but it's not every day. And so, um, and then, uh, stock market, you should understand what you're doing. So, Yeah. They're all good options, but it's not maybe all of them for every one of you. So. Real estate for all of you. Lies. Um, lies. <laughs> I, I would do real estate. I'm doing it. I'm putting my own money into it. I, I think everybody should be doing that right now. Moscow is great. There's a uh, gap between the cost of building and the value of property when you finish the building. So if you build, or if you're part of a building project, then you can walk in, walk out of that deal with an increase in equity. So in other words, you build it for a million dollars and once you, once it's finished, it's worth a million two. And then every year it's obviously reappraised based on income, et cetera. Um, in those kinds of deals, you're not a landlord. You're, you're a limited partner. I mean, none of my investors have ever had to answer a phone call about, you know, hot water tanks or anything like that. So, you can find deals that are structured so that, so that you're just purely an investor. And I would say that's what we're at is we're looking for other investments rather than purely buying real estate like we have been buying because we have been involved in pretty much every part of it. Although some of ours are managed by a rental management company, but we are looking to downsize and to have more time for our grandkids. All right. Thank you. Let's thank our panelists.